From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone, residing in Cedar Rapids, Iowa and hailing from Sydney, Australia. He is the president of Grow Up Sales. Please welcome Joe Mikolaiff. Mate, I love it. I absolutely love it. I thought you were going to say the thunder from down under, but that would be too corny and too cliche. <laughs> but, uh... I, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab that soundbite. I'm gonna send it to anybody because I do a lot of public speaking, as you know. And anybody's gonna introduce you. I said this is what it needs to sound like. Well, now Thanks, I feel like mate. a missed opportunity that I did not say the thunder from. I know thunder from. <laughs> but I, I appreciate love the love the whole all the wrestling stuff. I love all that stuff you do, mate. I'm an old school guy, 80s, 90s. Uh, saw a great documentary on Andre the Giant just recently. Yeah. Yeah, the oh, HBO man. one, yeah. And the Sheik, the Iron Sheik. There's some yep. good stuff out there. So appreciate it, mate. Appreciate you having me on. Of course, of course. So once again, he is Joe Mikalif, president of Grow Up Sales. And Grow Up Sales offers strategic sales advice and coaching to banks, financial institutions, insurance companies, and other sales organizations. They not only help the members of those financial institutions become better sellers, but they also help the leaders at those companies become better sellers sales leaders and sales coaches themselves. Now, I'm very excited to have Joe on today because aside from Joe being president of Grow Up Sales and just having that going on, Joe and I go way back um, because, and we have our connection through the Bunker Labs, both being mentors there. But for those who don't know, Joe was actually my first sales coach. So I do a lot of sales training and sales coaching and, and, and messaging development now, but a lot of the sales side of it, I didn't have until I met Joe. A lot of the blocking and tackling I was missing. And Joe was instrumental in Startup Hype Man's own success in getting off the ground several years ago uh, in a lot of those fundamentals that this company was lacking um, in knowing how to structure a sales process. Um, and, and quite frankly, and knowing how to sometimes shut up and just listen to when the uh, customer or the prospect wants to talk. So I'm very excited. It's, it's taken a long time to get to this point to get Joe on the show, but I'm excited to have Joe here today. And we're talking about something that both of us is very near and dear to both of our hearts. And that is building a winning proposal. Joe, why is this on your mind? Why is it important to you? Uh, because not too many people do it all that well. It's crazy. You can meet a prospect two or three times and uh, have these fantastic, I hear it all the time. Man, it was a great meeting. You know, and you walk away feeling pumped. 
And then your proposal, which really is a reflection of that meeting, falls flat. And then they're not re returning your phone calls. And you've just mailed out a proposal. You haven't presented it to them. That proposal is not a reflection of the tremendous meeting or the great uh, discovery and solutions you've just provided. It's simply just a like a features and benefits list with a price tag at the end. And that's all they're looking at. And so uh, not reminding them uh, of the wonderful meeting is what's really bugged me. It's, it's something that I think is, it's been on my mind for a while. And I do a lot of work with my clients on how to just sharpen up your proposals. And it's the biggest thing, biggest thing that I get um, compliments on. Thank you for improving our proposals. So we're, we're winning more business. So yeah, it's, it's been on my mind for a while, mate. We're going to talk a whole lot more about that. Before we do, let's learn Let's learn more about Joe, the person. Now, I'm curious. You got a few more years on me. Um, I'd like to know if you could think way back into that memory bank of yours, whether it was like, you know, to a classmate in like fifth grade or something. Do you remember like, what's the first thing you ever sold? Oh, that's great. That's an excellent question. First thing I ever sold was uh, myself to get a job. Uh, you know, when I was 15 years old. So uh, I lived, I uh, come from a pretty poor part of Western Sydney. Uh, my father was, you know, factory worker his whole life, still lives in the one and only house that he ever bought. And uh, the local grocery store back then, you know, grocery stores were, to try and get a job there was hard work. Nowadays there's like uh, help wanted signs everywhere. Back then a lot of people would apply. And uh, so this is, geez, I was 15 years old and uh, this little squeaky voiced kid. And I, what, and that question they asked me is why hire you? What the heck? I'm 15. What the hell do I know? And so I remember saying um, that, you know, the reason why you need to hire me is because your customers want to feel happy when they come to the shops here. And I know how to make people happy. And they were like, that's pretty cool. And so, <laughs> that's a good response. You know, so it worked. It worked. <laughs> that's great. Okay. So then tell me then, what do you feel you learned from that experience working in a grocery store? Ah, excellent question, because this is exactly the reason why I went into banking. You know, I, I uh, worked in the grocery store for seven years. Uh, I became a supervisor there. I went from, you know, we call them trolleys in Australia, from the cart boy who collected the carts in the car park to a supervisor to they wanted me to be a manager. And what I learned, it's, it's understanding what the customers want. Like ask, knowing how to ask questions, right? And so, uh, you know, back then, I, whether I was working in the checkouts or packing shelves or working in our liquor store, we had a liquor store, about bottle shop, a liquor store back then, um, I would always ask customers questions. And I never felt like I was prying. And they would answer. That would answer the question. So I immediately overcame that limiting belief that a lot of people have when it comes to selling their solutions, especially entrepreneurs out there, startup businesses. You got to get out there. You got to ask questions and don't feel like you're prying. And so that customer service um, aspect, you know, starts and ends with asking questions, finding out what their needs are, and then providing a solution. And that's why I went into banking. It was more of the same. I started in retail banking, more of the same. Just keep asking questions, no matter what your role is, no matter where you are, just ask questions, help people. Okay. So let's, let, I want to learn a little bit more about that. Cause you said, that's why you went into banking yep. because, you know, because of kind of what you learned in the grocery setting. But yep. I mean, you probably could have taken that same experience and done a dozen other things, right? There's plenty of other fields where you ask questions, where you get to know the customer, et cetera. Um, why, why did banking specifically speak to you? Yeah, sure. So 
um, in high school, I, I, I studied, you know, economics and, and when I was thinking about college degrees and whatnot, I wanted to make sure I was in a, a service field where, as I said earlier, like I was selling myself. And so you're right, you can be a product salesman out there and there's still elements of you, but it's ultimately you want to make sure you've got this innovative product. When I, got, when I was thinking about um, service industries, um, I, did, I, wanted, I didn't want to get too technical like accounting and law, but what I, what I thought about banking was, was like a loan is a loan is a loan. A deposit is a deposit is a deposit. And ultimately it comes down to the person selling it. Look how many banks there are here just in the US. And they're all got different brandings and different catchphrases and they all pride themselves on customer service, right? But uh, for me, I knew it was an opportunity for me to continue. Like what I was complimented and praised on so much in the grocery store was my energy, my enthusiasm, my willingness to help others. Banking is a, is, takes it to that next level. You're helping people achieve their financial goals, their dreams. You're helping making their life easier and better. And so that's why I loved getting into banking. And as you know, Raj, ultimately led to this career in coaching, right? I continued that. How can you help people and make their lives better? What can you do? What advice can you provide? Well, you, you rose you know, ranks in banking, becoming the CEO of uh, multiple organizations and de developing global experience in the process, right? So you've lived in Australia, you lived in Canada, you lived in the US, now you live in the US and, and Australia. Right. Um, what would you say, you know, of all the different places you have lived, um, maybe like what's one thing I say, I don't want to go into Australia because you have so much experience there and you can probably say no. a million things, but no. maybe one thing about living in Canada and one thing about living in the U.S. that you've learned about yourself or about the environment overall? Yeah, I mean, the easy answer is everyone says you've got to learn to adapt and whatnot. But, you know, what I've learned is that ultimately, and this is how I ended up becoming a cult, ultimately, we all share the same dreams and goals. We all want to better our life. We also share, many people share these same limiting beliefs. These, the same things that hold us back. That's why there's so many life coaches out there and all that type of stuff. And so um, doesn't matter what market I'm in, I, I get this sense of, all right, well, for example, in Canada, they're a little bit more conservative. And so therefore they're more loyal, right? They're more loyal to their service providers. And so because, well, hang on, I don't know anybody else. I want to remain loyal. I'm conservative. I don't want to take that risk of, of going elsewhere. And so, but we all want a better life, right? Yes. And therefore, um, if that limiting belief we need to overcome by just asking more questions and discovering more of what their problems are. Actually, good point. You come to the US, more risk takers. They are definitely more risk takers. And in the US, there's a lot more option. So people are willing to try lots of different things. So then people have, oh, look, I'm glad I've just got this one product with this client. I don't want to risk that mm. by trying to find out more because they've got so much choice. Well, I say to them, become their only choice. So it's the same thing you know you can help them with their goals. You've got similar goals. Overcome that limiting belief, right? That you can't provide more value. You can't be exclusively their only solution provider um, and ask more questions, right? And uh, so that's what I've learned that it transcends. It transcends the markets. And you just got to reach down to understand, well, reach up and understand what people's goals are. Okay, I want to help you achieve that. But first of all, let's find out what those limiting beliefs are. And there's a mm -hmm. few simple ways we can help you overcome that. Well, you know, when you first started helping me several years ago, I remember limiting beliefs was probably the first thing that we did. And I actually specifically remember writing down on that piece of paper, 
I am not good at sales. <laughs> and then you were like, well, why do you think that? And, you know, I was yeah. like, well, you know, I had this background that wasn't successful at this other company, et cetera, et cetera. I can't get this thing off the ground. And uh, you, you helped me work through that. So, and, and then now to where I'd say, like, that's probably the last thought that would ever come to my mind is Absolutely. that I'm not good at sales. <laughs> um, so what was the transition then from, you know, I would say probably getting paid very well to be the CEO of, you know, an international bank to then starting your own sales coaching firm, you know, talk us through what made that, like, why, why did that come to be? And, and what was going through your mind at the time? Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny you say that the least thing I, I'm good at is sales. All your listeners now and people who know you would like, Raj, really? There was a time? <laughs> there was a time? So you're right. It, it happens for all of us. And the thing that pushed you and I know when we worked together was your goals, was your, you know, you know, you wanted to, to grow this business, but you had a purpose. Mm. You wanted to help startups because mm-hmm. you knew they sucked at pitches, you know, to coin your term. And, mm. um, and so you saw that as your purpose to really help them with their confidence and make their pitches not suck. And they certainly don't. The same thing with me. I discovered that when I, um, when I got into banking, not only were I, was I coaching customers and clients to get a better quality of life, I was coaching my staff and I loved doing that. And so uh, when, I, when I had the opportunity to move to, to Canada in 2010 and become the CEO of a finance company, you're right, it was a great opportunity. Um, it was a whole new bunch of people that I got to coach. And I hadn't met these people before and, and I loved it, absolutely loved it. Uh, we, we grew the business phenomenally. Um, and again, it was because they had better confidence. They, they had new skills, behaviors and beliefs. And so, um, and as a result of that, we sold the business to a U.S. bank. And so I knew that eventually I'd be moving to the U.S. I, I've also married a, a beautiful U.S. girl along the way. And so when I arrived here, rather than work for a bank, you're right. I had a pretty cool resume, pretty good to get, could get a good position. I wanted to, it was this new opportunity to focus on what I love doing. And that is now coaching others, right? And in the US market, there was a huge need for that. And then to become an entrepreneur myself, to have this creative freedom to work wherever I wanted to. So my goals had changed and that's what I do now. I work, I've got a client in Canada and work across the US and, uh, and have a client in Australia as well. So it, was, it wasn't as big as a leap as I thought it was going to be. I continue mm. to use those skills and now I'm coaching clients as opposed to coaching staff. I often find that for many people and myself included, it's from the external world, it's perceived as a leap but when yeah. you're the one in it, it's just kind of like, well, one thing leads to another. You're just kind of like thinking in a certain way. And so then you make this decision, then you make the next decision before you know it. It's been like three years, four years, five years, whatever it might be. But it was, it's not like, I think it's less often the case where someone is like, okay, I'm doing it now, as opposed to just it's happening and, and you just are in the thick of it without realizing it, right? Yeah, and you hear so many entrepreneurs say today, I wish I started sooner. Hmm. And, and even entrepreneurs who may not have the success they want right now, there's no regrets. You know, they like, okay, well, I've learned a lot along the way and maybe it's taken me longer to achieve my goals, but I'm, I'm you know, loving what I do. You know, is it harder work and all that type of stuff? Uh, it can be. I was going to say, yes, it is. Um, it can be. Um, it, it's all relative. If you're enjoying what you're doing, um, then it's, you know, I know that sounds very cliche, but 
Um, it doesn't have to be. Am I working kind of longer hours than I've ever done before? Sure, but I've got so much more freedom and I just, the hours I'm working now, I love. I get to do mm. stuff like this, right? So yeah, <laughs> Exactly. All right, so let's dive into our main topic today, which is building a winning proposal. Um, to me, I'm sure you agree with this, the proposal is more of a, it's a concept as opposed to just, I think people think about it as just a piece of paper or just a PDF or just a Word doc. Um, so let's talk about this idea of like the idea of the proposal overall. What is it that you tend to see sellers doing wrong? Before we even get to that piece of paper, what are sellers doing wrong in the process leading up to the proposal? Uh, so, you know, it, it seems like a running theme today, but um, they, they're really not um, asking enough questions. So they're, they're meeting these clients um, we, we get into pitch mode very quickly and that's not taking anything away from what you do. You know, you, you're helping them. Hey, the pitch is only after you've done discovery. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So we got to open that door. So, um, so what I see that uh, a lot of people are doing wrong during the sales process is first of all, they don't have a process. There's no sales process. And that's one of the things you and I talked about, you know, very early on is having some kind of a, a sales meeting process at least mm -hmm. You know, there's prospecting processes, there's follow-up processes, but what about the actual meeting itself? You know, you got your client in front of you, and you're like, how does that process work, and what do you follow? Uh, you're building rapport and credibility, right? You're establishing that credibility early. Are you just are you asking enough questions to discover needs, broad needs, not just a specific need that suits your particular mission? Just understanding all the customers or the clients' challenges, prospects' challenges. Um, are you providing, are your solutions being positioned as well as, as uh, from a, an advice perspective? Look, here's some advice I want to give you about those needs, about those challenges. And by the way, this is how I can help. And mm -hmm. these are the next steps. So um, a lot of uh, salespeople, a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, the first thing you need to be thinking about is what does your sales meeting process look like? And are you following it? Are you well prepared for every meeting? And are you following it? And if you do that, it's going to feed into that document you talk about. It's going, to, it's going to help you create this powerful proposal. But if your meeting process is too short, it's all about price and product features and things like that, then um, it's, you're opening yourself up to a lot of comparison and little additional value, little additional right. value beyond just that price and what that product or service could kind of accomplish for that client. Right. And I, and I think too, along those lines, you know, if that mode does still get you to a proposal, it's one where then you get nitpicked on every little thing and you probably aren't going to get the dollar value you were hoping for um, because they're going to find some way to justify why they should pay less or why, oh, so-and-so sells it for this much. Why do you sell it for this? Yeah, you, you becomes easily uh, you become easily compared, and so you know I always say to entrepreneurs, bankers, salespeople, you're not a quoting machine, you're a professional, and you've got so much value to add. So it starts with getting your meeting meeting process right, just making sure you're having these compelling meetings, and then then your proposal should be a reflection of the meeting. So yeah. I say, first of all, um, is that client, that prospect, worthy of a proposal? Have you qualified them? Right? Is your proposal going to be compelling or is it just going to be simply compared? Um, and is it worth your time putting together a decent proposal? We're going to be talking about some stuff and people may think, geez, that sounds like a lot of hard work. Well, I'd rather 
get, you know, put a, a compelling proposal, spend the time getting a compelling proposal right and winning eight out of 10 opportunities than punching out a whole bunch of term sheets or yeah. marketing flyers or whatever it may be and winning two out of 10. You know, people say it's a numbers game. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, I, and it, it's almost like if, if that's the view, if, if numbers game is the view, it's like you have your, then you don't understand how a funnel works. The funnel's supposed to get narrower as you go down. It can yeah. be a numbers game at the very top of just getting leads in the first place. By the time you're down to the proposal, the funnel can't be getting wider again. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, couldn't agree um, well, can you, okay. So you, you mentioned that phrase, Hey, you're not a quoting machine. Um, can you juxtapose that against, you know, in my view, the proposal should not be the first time they're hearing of pricing. So how should, in your, in your opinion, how should pricing be addressed and, and when should it first be addressed? Um, yeah, again, it, it, it depends on what you're selling. And I say that, um, I say that often. So if you're selling a product, um, then, and as long as it depends on how different, like if your product is highly differentiated, highly unique, uh, you've got something that's uh, exciting and new to the market, then you, you can kind of address price earlier on, right? Cause you've got to manage that expectations because it's, it's a lot more transparent, if that makes sense. And that question can get asked in a meeting. So that's okay. If the question gets asked, that's okay. S still save the price to later in the meeting. And that's like, you can do that. You can put that to the side because you want to make sure you uncover all their needs and that this product satisfy these needs. And if it does, then fantastic. The price is just the, um, it's, it's just part of the price. It's like, yeah, of course, of course mm. I pay that price because it satisfies all my needs. When it comes to service, um, whatever that service may be, whether it is um, banking, whether it's your great services that you provide, Araj, you, what you want to do is you want to explore their needs. You want to then share some advice and give them some value with the solutions. And you offer tremendous value with the podcast, with your newsletter, with your posts, you know, all that tremendous value. We, we, got, to, we got to share that with them. Then uh, what you want to do is that could be one or two meetings. Maybe it's just one meeting. All you want to do is don't send a proposal yet. Don't talk about price yet. You just want to summarize that discussion. You want them to know that they've gained some value from you, this wonderful service that you can offer. And they've gained some value for you. Then you want to start putting together a proposal. And then your next meeting or third meeting after that, whatever it may be, you want to make sure you present that proposal. But So from a service perspective, you want to give them a taste. Because if you're trying to give them a price up front, if I said to you that my sales coaching services for a six-month program is $50,000, you'd be like, oh, hang on a minute. But if I sit there and I demonstrate all the things, all the ways that I can add value, and you mentally start to see that, wow, that's going to produce immediate results for my team. And the ROI, like that, that's going to turn into at least $2 million worth of business or half a million dollars, whatever it may be, 50 grand is now all relative. Right. Mm -hmm. So you want to be making sure that you can understand their needs, present a solution, give them some, so sorry, give them some advice before you present your solution so they can feel like, yeah, this, this person's right. You got to audition, you know, you got to audition. And, um, and so that doesn't happen straight away. Like anybody who's in theater would knows that they have to get attend a couple of auditions before they get the part. It's going to be the same for you. So don't give away your price too early. On that note, um, 
you know, and a lot of the call, the, the calls that I'll review with clients, um, one of the first things I'll notice that we try and cut out right away is a prospect will, you know, they'll, they'll have their first call with them and they'll say something like, yeah, send me a proposal. Now I want to hear your take on that. You know, when, when a prospect say after a first meeting, they say, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Why don't you send me a proposal as a follow-up? Is that a good thing? And should they, should that request be honored uh, and talk about, you know, why or why not? That's your, that's your yeah. stance. Um, happens all the time. You know, you and I know that we hear that from our clients and they say, yeah. And then they, then they say to me, you know, send me a proposal. My question to them, to them usually after that is great. And how many of them accept that proposal? <laughs> how many of them, how many of them actually have returned your phone call now that you follow them up or returned your email? And so that's why I said at the beginning, you want to make sure that they're worthy of a proposal. Now, somebody like, what's he talking about? It almost sounds somewhat arrogant. It's not. No, and I, like in my game, someone said that to me. Um, first of all, if they're saying that, you've got to check in with your sales meeting process, right? Is your sales meeting process working for you? Because your sales meeting process, if it's this exploration, advice, solutions process, then they should just be excited about the next meeting. Mm-hmm. But if they're not, they go, well, yeah, that all sounds good, Joe. Sometimes they're just, they're cutting you off, right? As you and I know, sometimes if we talk too much, right? They, yeah. wanna, they just want to cut it. So yeah, yeah, just put that in writing and send the proposal. So I always say, if someone says that to me, I say, look, I'll do something better. I'm going to send you a summary of this great discussion we've had and some of the advice that I've been giving you. Um, and then what I'd like to do is I'll set up another meeting with you so we can then talk about how we can take this to the next level. And we can really make sure that you're going to gain lots of value working together. Now, if they're not, you know, interested in that, then what you're doing is you're qualifying them. So my advice to all of you is if you're going to punch out some quick proposal to somebody because they say that to you, then you're wasting your time. You actually don't have a good idea of whether they're going to accept it. You're rolling the dice and your fingers crossed right? So um, as, as you and I talked about many years ago, I talk about this concept of the idea model, I-D-E-A. One of the things you want to be sure of before you give anyone a proposal is whether the I, do they have an intention to buy from you? Have you asked enough questions that you genuinely know they have an intention to buy? And it's very different when someone calls you versus you calling them. And a lot of startup businesses, as you know, SaaS companies, they're outreaching, Right? We're outreaching to people to get those meetings. And they're the type of prospects that can quickly cut you off and say, yeah, 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 just send me a proposal. So what you want to do is in that meeting, especially if you've outreached to them and you've gained that meeting, you want to get a real sense that they've got an intention to buy, that they're not happy with their current provider, that you've got something that could be of real value. D, idea model, D stands for decision-making process are you speaking to the decision makers so the person that says yeah send me a proposal and you know i'll send that to my ceo good luck (laughs) you're gonna waste your time completing the proposal so ask them about their decision making process ask them if they're the decision makers who else needs to be involved e expectations and this is where price gets involved e is expectations are you are you clear about their expectations from someone like you and the expectation shouldn't be, oh, I'm going to get a proposal. The expect- expectation should be, this guy's adding value or this lady, this company's adding value. Yeah, I'm expecting to have another meeting with them, have some more conversations with them. And do they understand your expectations of them? 
And then the last one, A, in the idea model is um, access. So this is the classic. Are you going to access to their time? So when they cut you off, you're not. So you don't have a good idea whether they're going to accept your proposal. So why waste your time, right? Why waste your time? Um, uh, access to information you need and access to people. So that's my point here. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say no, but I don't just say no and like, well, no, I'm not going to send you a proposal. I say, I've got something better for you. I'm going to send you some information that can be of value. And then let's set up another meeting so we can explore more needs, right? Well, and the other side of that that I'll see is oftentimes the rep will kind of like preempt and they'll say, they, you know, they have maybe an interesting first meeting and the rep will say, well, great. Why don't I send you a proposal? And you can look that over. And that's also something where I'm like, eh, maybe you don't want to do that because if you don't have, you know, all those things you just mapped out in the idea model, but if you don't have that stuff gathered, you're going to leave that call with a false sense of confidence because they're going to say, like, like who's going to say, no, don't show me your pricing, right? But in reality, you know, you, you may you may do that thinking, oh, I'm advancing the, the, the sales cycle here, but you're not necessarily advancing their buying process. And those two things have to be in alignment, right? Your yeah. sales cycle has to align to their buying process. You can't move one without moving the other. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Absolutely right. So, um, so that's why I, uh, and we're going to talk about proposals and then the type of proposals you do. If you just want to punch out a quick one page term sheet or something along those lines, you know, fine, but you are falling into that numbers game. Like we yeah. talked about the funnel that's going to go like that. And yeah. you're going to find this part of your funnel is not new clients. It's a whole bunch of, you know, dead deals with people not speaking to you. So just don't do it. You know, as you know, I work with a lot of finance companies and it's you know, even in the mortgage space, don't just send out this one pager with fees and interest rates and maybe a marketing flyer attached. That's not a proposal. That's not a proposal. Yeah. So don't be surprised if you get compared then on price. Is, you know, in the startup game, you know, the entrepreneurs here, even the SaaS game, they all have tremendous value to provide. You're going to make a difference. The reason why you've gotten into this space is you've got a great idea, great product, great service that you can provide. You can make someone's life better. And there's got to be a price for that. You don't want to be discounting your price up front. Mm -hmm. right? You don't want to be discounting that up front. So if you get your proposal stuff right early, your meeting process and your proposal stuff right early, you'll be realizing, wow, we can get this price. And if anything, you can get higher prices as you yeah. go on. And that's certainly been the case for me in my business, definitely. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, I always look at like, how do we reduce or eliminate friction as much as possible? And I think, you know, if you have a good first meeting with someone, you're unnecessarily creating friction if you say, hey, now look through all this legal language. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. They're just going to get so overwhelmed. They're going to table it. They'll probably flip to the pricing page first. Definitely. Right. Definitely. And then they're going to get so overwhelmed by everything else. They'll be like, eh, it's not a priority right now. All right. Let's get into that proposal document. Before we do, I just want to take a quick moment here. All this season on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we are featuring the elevator pitches. We're featuring the different clients who we have worked with here at Startup Hype Man, um, the different elevator pitches we've created for them using the K-Pasa elevator pitch formula. And so today we're going to feature, actually, coincidentally, we're going to feature uh, Australian-based company, uh, Avana, the, the well-being platform. And they've actually got several different target markets. One of that, those target markets is chiropractors. And 
if you're a chiropractor in Australia, in the Melbourne area or in the greater Australia area at large, um, here, here's what the situation you're probably facing is because Ivana is talking to chiropractors every day and they're hearing things about how those chiropractors schedule has one too many openings and their website's not generating enough leads. It's hard to stand out. They want a few more patients to feel better about their practice month to month. Well, Avana helps you fill the white space on your calendar. Avana is Australia's only dedicated well-being marketplace, and chiropractors are using Avana so that new patients can easily find and book their available time slots. There's no weird user flow or anything like that. You can either add the Avana booking directly to your site or send them to avana.com. Either way, you get the pay, you get the patients. You don't have to pay an upfront fee. You just pay. It's just a results-based payment model. So all you have to do is focus on what you do best, and that's providing great treatment. You can get started for free, totally free, at listyourbusiness.avana.com.au. Again, that's listyourbusiness.avana.com.au. Today on the podcast, we've got the thunder from down under, president of Grow Up Sales, Joe Mikaliff, talking about building a winning proposal. So up to this point, Joe, we talked all about sort of like the process of getting to the actual proposal stage. Let's talk about the proposal stage kind of in, in its silo itself. What does that look like? How do we build that document out? Yeah, it's something you mentioned uh, earlier was that you, we, have, we have these great uh, meetings and then we send out these proposals with a whole bunch of legalese and jargon um, and, you know, great. And if you like this and sign at the bottom line and blah, blah, blah. And I always say we, we should separate agreements from proposals. Uh, the proposal is, it's like a meeting where you're taking somebody on, on both a, an emotional and a rational journey. That's when you know you've had a good meeting, right? That's why what you do is so well, uh, so good is because you're winning the hearts and minds of the audience, and if, you, if you're conducting your sales meetings in that manner, then your proposal should reflect that as well. The other error that I see with proposals, and again, how we structure these proposals, I'll explain in a moment, was that the proposal is all about me, right? Hey, these are all the services I'm going to provide. It's me, 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 with a little bit of information about what they want. Um, so, so that's kind of the only them part. The proposal should be equally about them as it is about you. Hmm. And so... Uh, so for me, I say solutions and deep, like the details of your offering and the next steps, that's kind of like the last thing. Whereas everybody says that's the only thing they present. So if your meeting looks like, hey, we're having this, we're, we're creating a connection here. Uh, that's what your meeting looks like. I am asking you questions. I'm understanding your challenges and your concerns as you highlighted in your promotion. Um, and now I'm providing you a compelling solution, right? That's what a meeting looks like. Your proposal should be the exact same thing. Frame it up with your connection statement or page or whatever it may be, whether it's a cover sheet or whatever that they read it and they go, that's right. I remember Raj, mm -hmm. right? So that it reminds them of the great meeting they had. And by the way, whether it's a, I know I'm holding up a piece of paper, imaginary piece of paper here, but a proposal can also be videotaped and we'll talk about or video message. I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, then it's, hey, by the way, Raj, I understand you had all these concerns. And again, why your, your promotion you just did, that was so good, mate, because you'd actually highlighted that. Yeah. Uh, these, are the these are the concerns you told me you had in our meeting. 
So I'm summarizing them back. So it reminds you that, wow, this guy listened. This, you know, this company really understands me. Okay, so we connected. They're highlighting my challenges and concerns. And now here's the solutions I could buy. Here's the recommendation. And if anything, those first three elements is like this perfect bit of advice. You know, this, this, you know, what a great service, great advice this person's just giving me, this business is just giving me. Oh, and there's more. This is how they're going to specifically help me now. And this is the value for that. Well, yeah, I'm willing to pay for that because of everything else I just read. So it should reflect the meeting and it should be as much about them as, as it is about you. And it's all about taking them on an emotional and a rational journey, right? So you're connecting with their hearts and minds all the way through it. Well, and one thing that, that I want to point out with that is, you know, sometimes within a proposal, uh, a company may attach, you know, a couple of like case studies, you know, of yeah. other successful companies, which is fine. But I, I think most companies overlook this is, your own credibility is also reminding them of the rapport you have built to that point. Not just like the understanding of the needs as you pointed out, but also yep. remind them, hey, we've had three meetings to this point. Yep. I've talked to your IT team and I've learned their needs. We've, we've cleared this with you know, this department, whatever. So that they realize they've gotten pretty far with you. Why would they turn back now if they've gotten you know 98.6% of the way there so far? And every time I do that myself or I have my clients do that, that little reminder works so effectively to just be like, hey, like we've come a long way together. Yeah, that's why that connection part is so important. You yeah. reinforce the connection, you reaffirm it. And it's it's because it's that's the emotional tug straight away because they see that, wow, this they you've invested in me you're really you've invested in me we've had several meetings you, you you name drop you know it was great meeting you know chuck jones as your it manager and we under we explored this this and this whatever it may be you know whatever it may be and you always put that in there i am um, i caught up with a guy just recently um this was a, a bank it was a ceo of a bank and, um, you know, a pandemic, trying to do some business with them during the pandemic. And during the pandemic, they had their first child. The CEO and his wife had their first child. And we didn't end up doing business together because the pandemic overtook and the PPP was in place and, you know, the Paycheck Protection Program. And he said, Joe, sales training right now, we're going to have to speak again. So followed him up as I did. And in my follow-up message to him, I included that connection. I said, how is your daughter doing? I'm, isn't it her birthday today? Mm. And he was like, I was blown away. Now, I know that's the type of, you know, the touchy-feely type of stuff, but it was that emotional connection. And he said, wow, this guy remembered all that. And I did remind him of all the different people I met, the free training. I, did, I gave a free session to his team. And he's now said to me, yes, Joe, we got to start that program now. Like, yeah. it was like, yes. And it was the same proposal as last year, but he was keen to start, you know, to talk. So well, and I wouldn't even discount it with the idea. You know, I don't mean price discount. I, I would not dis, uh, disregard the importance of what you said, like kind of the touchy feely, but like, that's how you get people to, it's how you, decisions Correct. are made on emotion right? more than Correct. anything else. And Correct. that's how you stay within the emotion. You know, I was in the market for a product recently and I'd probably had, I don't know, two, three meetings with the person. And after that second or third meeting, whatever follow-up email they had to send me. And I'll admit the product was interesting. I was actually, I was genuinely interested, but in the follow-up email, they addressed me. They said, Hey, Nathan, like mistaking Nathan for my first name. 
Now I have had multiple meetings with them to that point. Yeah. And that tiny mistake, I'm like, I'm done with them. They don't, yeah. they're not, they're not paying attention to me. Yeah. And if this is what it's like now, what's it going to be like being a customer of theirs? Correct. And it's, it's, so you're right. And, and, and uh, d- definitely not trying to discount and I'm thinking about your audience and some people may go, wow, you know, remembering child. No, absolutely. Remembering names, remembering the language they use, mm-hmm. you know, I work it. You know, I work with a lot of bankers. Some of them call them clients. Some of them call them customers. Right. I ask them, and do you think I absolutely use the right term in my proposals? Absolutely, right. right. So um, it's all that type of stuff, and that makes a huge difference. And that should carry. You know, should carry right through the proposal. But confirming that connection up front, no matter what it is, complimenting them. There's lots of ways. You know, you build rapport and and credibility. You know, so if you shared a story with them during your meeting, remind them of that story at the beginning. You know, as we discuss, one of my other clients was blah, 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 blah. And so they remember that story you told and you're reaffirming that because that reaffirms your credibility as well. So I, I couldn't agree more. You know, that you want to make sure they get those details right. Well, I've got a few more questions here before we hit our wrap up. You mentioned... Uh, a couple of minutes back, you said, hey, whether it's the document or if you did it through video, talk through what video would be like in this scenario. So uh, technology's here, right? So <laughs> a lot of people are thinking, oh, great, I'm just going to punch out and send a PDF or something along those lines. There's lots of great tools out there. There's lots of great um, platforms where you can get documents electronically signed. And that's something I, was, I alluded to earlier, where my agreements are very separate than my proposals. Because... For me, one of the biggest mistakes that uh, bankers, that, that any kind of uh, business makes, especially service businesses, is that we don't present our proposals. We don't present them in person. Um, and so uh, if, you, if you can't present in person, there's tools you can use for that. I'll explain that in a moment. The most important thing is if you've gone through all that effort to discover all their needs, right, to create this now more comprehensive document, that covers those sections that I talked about, connection, challenges, your compelling solution, and then the details and next steps, then why not present it to them? And so when a customer says to me or a client says to me, hey, just send it to me, I'll say, I've got something better yet. I'm going to send you some information. Then I'll also say to them, let's set up a time so I can present this proposal to you. I want to walk through the proposal. Remember, make it about them. I want to walk through the proposal so I'm sure that we're covering all your needs. And giving you and helping you achieve your objectives, you, you, you. This, you know, that's not some gimmick. It, you're making it about them and not about you. When you just shoot off a document, guess what? It's all about you, and they're just going to look at that price and go, "I don't know if I want to pay that much for it for that person or that company." So I try to present them in person, um, and then uh, yes, I will. You want to control the document. Now, if I can't present it in person, present it via Zoom, I'll email the document just before the meeting. Mm-hmm. Or, or what I love about Zoom is you share the document and you mm-hmm. present it to them while you're doing it. Now, Control the scroll. Don't show them anything that you're not yet talking about. Yeah, correct. <laughs> and remember, remember, if you're structuring your proposal the way I suggested, where it's all about them up front, that's how you're presenting your proposal. It's all about their needs. It's like you're recapping that whole meeting you had with them. You're confirming your connection, your rapport and credibility. You're confirming their needs and you're asking them if we've got this right, what else it can be. Like how powerful is that? They can't say no. 
right? They can't say no because, and then you're going to get into your solution, how your solution powerfully addresses their needs. And then yes, you're going to get into the details around the price. Um, so for me, controlling the scroll, right? Controlling the document. If you could do it in person, do it. Um, try and present. Now there's going to be some people say, well, I just, I, you know, they don't want me to present in person. I use Prezi. You know, software called Prezi, P-R-E-Z-I or Z-I, as you guys say, right? <laughs> um, and so, and, and it's, there's so much, there's a lot of great software out there. And I will record myself presenting the proposal with each slide at a mm. time. With each, I'm still controlling the document. Interesting. Right? So if they're being dodgy about taking, or they're like adamant about, no, no, just email it to me you're still not just sending a static attachment. You're actually doing a, a video recording and you're sending them that. Yeah. Now, once again, smart. to your point though, about the dodginess, as I, as we alluded to at the beginning of our session today, you know, if they're being dodgy, you just got to take a step back and go, a, did I, have I controlled this meeting process? Well, am I really demonstrating value? Um, and do I have a good idea that this is somebody who's going to, because you're going to spend time creating that document, creating that video. That's what some of your listeners and viewers are going to say right now. It's like, oh, hang on a minute, record a video. Yeah, I've done that for some bankers. And, and you know what they've said to me afterwards? Can you, I loved it. Can you teach my team how to do that? <laughs> right? And it's what you do, Raj. Like it's all about you demonstrating pictures and, and doing examples of pictures for businesses. And I go, okay, yeah, we need my people to sound like that. So it's so much more powerful. But again, if you're going to invest that time, make sure, like I said, you've, you've um, created enough value that they're mm. interested and that they're worthy of that, that they're going to be the type of client that you want to build that relationship with. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one other thing that I want to add into this is if you've got, to your point about, hey, have you controlled the process to that point? Have you qualified them correctly? If you've gotten to the proposal stage, like my belief is there shouldn't really be much of a question at that point. Like they, it should be like a 95% there. Um, and that 5% where you miss is, you know, so, some external factor came into play that was hard to predict or hard to control for. And what I'll always do, because whenever I get to a proposal stage, they've, they've verbally heard an idea of what pricing is going to look like on that proposal. So they're not surprised. Yeah. And I also will say at the beginning of that meeting, I'd like us to leave today's call with an understand an agreement in principle that, uh, uh, of what we want it to look like moving forward, knowing that we'll probably need to like exchange some yeah. emails or get on another quick call and just hash out some details. But at least we'll know in principle what working together is going to look like coming out of this. And when, and, and you say to them, can you get on board with that? And if they say yes, now they've just, they've literally just agreed in the first, you know, 20 seconds of doing business. They've agreed to do business with you in some capacity. Now, of course they can always renege on their word, but that I call them micro agreements. They can, when you can secure the micro agreement up front or throughout yeah. the call, it's so valuable because you're starting the meeting with a yes, not, yeah. not, a, not a no, convince me. It's a yes, let's discuss. Yeah, and, and, that, and I use that even for my proposal presentation. So I love that approach. I think that's brilliant. And, and everybody was doing that. That's why I say, 
you know, start, you know, to get your proposals right, it starts with getting your meeting process right. So managing expectations up front and saying them things like, you know, I think it just makes sense that today, does that make sense to you? And that's what I use. You know, mm-hmm. you've heard me use that. Right. It just makes yeah. sense a lot. And so that's great. So same with the proposal. That's why I encourage everybody, if you can present your proposals in person over Zoom and say, look, it just makes sense as we present this proposal today that we come up with a, a reason, uh, a, you know, a, a next step for doing business together. And today I want to hear any reasons why we can't move forward. Does that make sense to you? And they go, yeah, absolutely. Right. And so I find it's very rare that ends up being a pricing issue. So this is the reason why you want to make sure again, that you're presenting your proposal to the decision maker, ID model, intention to buy decision maker, expectations and access. And if you got those things, if they're in place to your point, then do your proposal and mate, 95 could even get up to 96%, my friend. So um, you're right. So right. rather than just shoot them out. Uh, one more question here before we hit our wrap up. You, uh, you said, you know, technology is here. Um, do you see any of the strategies that we've discussed today um, being impacted by things like PandaDoc? Like, for example, I've signed agreements for via PandaDoc where they literally, you know, it's it's kind of like a, a sushi menu where you just like check the things you're buying and then you sign the thing there, but they, you know, they send it ahead and they skip the whole like, you know, phone call or, you know, let's review this together kind of process. And it's designed to short circuit the proposal sure. stage. Now, I personally don't think I'd ever do that um, unless it was like a product that could be purchased through like an online cart. Um, I'm curious to hear how you think software like that impacts these strategies yeah and the great thing about the question you asked is in essence you answered it for me when you were talking about when would you use a a, like a panda doc panda doc's awesome right fantastic now i would use that at agreement stage so we're at at the final agreement stage and and you know if i'm building some optional extras in my proposals, like, you know, I have like an online video platform that, that I use to bolster my coaching. And so do you want subscriptions for the online platform? So sure. I like technology is brilliant when you get to the agreement stage. Um, Technology is absolutely can help. We talked about zoom, you know, a lot of times I would have, I would honestly say before the pandemic, most of my proposals were done in person which meant I was flying somewhere or driving somewhere or whatever it may be. And because I have pretty large contracts, I've been doing them over Zoom and it's been equally as powerful because I get to control it, right? right? I get to control. And the only reason why I ever email in advance is because maybe I know there's three or four people in the room. And so they want a hard copy to look at the same time. It's emailed just beforehand. Um, so I think for the, depending on your solution and your service. So if it's a product and your product is super compelling, yeah. Of course, you want to make sure it's a streamlined process and cut some of that stuff out of it, some of the the protocol out of it, the time out of it. Absolutely, save people time, make it easy. Of course, mm. um, but if it's uh, if it's a solution like the services you offer, and uh, especially a lot of SaaS companies, and that you know, it's when there's demonstrations and all that built in, and it's a particularly it's a large contract, you want to be making sure that you can use the technology to your advantage, but you still want to be presenting it in the manner in which we talked about earlier, like going through um, each step, making sure you confirm their needs and whatnot. Um, this isn't a, it depends, volume product. Yeah. Use technology, but uh, it just depends on the type of product, type of solution. And, I, and I'd even say the more, I mean, I, I'm saying this more than I probably ever would have before, 
what SaaS companies, most SaaS companies have realized is that this kind of like golden goose of software that just, they just buy it. And that's kind of like really more a SaaS company, like that last S in SaaS is service. Software as a service. Yeah, correct. But most SaaS companies, it's a software it, it's a service. It's a it's a service backend that's supported by a software front end, <laughs> and it's not like like most companies are not getting away with just the the entire existence and interaction is just the software, and there's no like customer success team or anything like that. Most of these companies are doing upsells and cross or, or it, the 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 software is supported by service, and there's cross sales and upsells due to the level of service that, that's going on there. So. I mean, any SaaS company, unless it's something that, you know, you pay 20 bucks for a credit card online and it's like a Chrome extension with no, no interaction beyond that. Um, you are, you really are a service company, even if you think you're a software company. Yeah, look, couldn't agree more. You know, a mate of mine is, works for a big SaaS company in Australia, won't name names. And, and he, um, he just landed the largest grocery chain in Australia. Australia doesn't have all these ones. They're usually nationwide, multi-million dollar deal. And yeah, I mean, it, yeah, he was able to let, even he told me, you leverage the software for demonstrations, you leverage the software to finalize agreements, but the amount of presentations he needed to do. Mm. And he learned very early on, don't give the proposal yet. So he was one of the first in the door. It was like an RFP kind of thing. One of the first in the door of all his competitors, but one of the last to give a proposal and he insisted on doing it in person. And it was this big presentation that he gave and he won it. And he was not the cheapest, not the cheapest by far, but they were just impressed with that. You're right, the service element and the fact that he truly understood all their needs and wasn't just trying to throw some cheap software at them. So huge contract. So I couldn't agree more. Let's begin our wrap up. Joe, where can our listeners find you and learn more? So uh, my website, my company is Grow Up Sales and my website is growupsales.com. So all one word. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Happy to connect with people. I share lots and lots of stuff. So I share lots of resources and whatnot on my website, growupsales.com, but also LinkedIn, Joe Mickleff. Um, look me up, uh, either follow me or outreach with a connection, please. And if you've got any questions, if you're just looking for some advice, I loved my time with the Bunker Lab and I'm always like, like Raj does so very well is I'm always wanting to share some tips and ideas. And if you have a specific challenge and want some help, let me know. And I also have a bi-weekly newsletter, um, you know, like Raj has as well. And um, I'm always happy to, to, to put you on that newsletter list if you'd like. Awesome. And, and if you search for Joe Mikaliff on LinkedIn, just know that if you type thunder from down under, he, he, he will not, sh- you'll probably get something far more suggestive uh, <laughs> and his profile will not show up, unfortunately. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, Joe, who's one person who you want to shout out today? It could be a colleague, a client, a friend, a mentor, anybody. Yeah, the person that got me started on this, this uh, coaching journey was Dean Mannix. He was one of my first coaches in the banking world. And uh, I came full circle and, and reached uh, outreached to Dean when I uh, decided I want to become a full-time coach. And I, I work with him today. He's um, a highly successful entrepreneur. He's had a number of startup businesses that he sold. And uh, he even created this sales coaching company now, which deals with all of the major financial institutions across Australia and the UK. So um, he's been an incredible mentor. And I meet with him twice a month. And Raj has seen many of his videos as well. So Dean Mannix has been um, 
just critical in, in helping me achieve success, not only in my career as a banker, but also now as a coach. We will now do our top uh, one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on our discussion today. I'll go first and I'll toss it to you. Our topic today was building a winning proposal. Uh, my top lesson for uh, everyone listening is by the time you get to a proposal, by the time you're delivering a proposal, it should not be a question of if, it should be a question of how. Joe, top one or two lessons or takeaways. Uh, love that, by the way. Um, my, my number one is um, your proposal should be a reflection of your meeting process. Your proposal should, in essence, just be a summary of exactly the, you know, the great meeting you have. And so does it look like that? Or is it just some kind of legalese document with a whole bunch of um, details and pricing? Or, is, or does it perfectly capture that meeting? The connection, the challenges and needs of your clients, the compelling solution and advice, you know, the way you can help them, and then you can provide those details and next steps. My final question, which is how we end every episode of this show, fill in the blank, Joe. Entrepreneurship is blank. Yeah, I love this question. Love your podcast, mate. And uh, sometimes I have to admit, sometimes, sometimes, very rarely, I cheat and try and go to the end because I, I love the conversations you have here. And, so, and you've had so many good uh, guests on this. So well done, mate. I'm super proud of you. And it's been an honor, you know, being involved Thank with you. this. For me, entrepreneurship, as someone who made the leap, is creative freedom creative freedom. I was blessed that I got to work for a financial institution in my corporate career uh, that had the motto, freedom within boundaries, freedom within boundaries. But you're working for an organization. So I understand those boundaries are there for a reason. But I got my first taste of that freedom. And I got my first taste of entrepreneurship while working with that organization. And what it meant for me is I could be creative, create new markets, create new solutions, create new marketing approaches. And so then when I became an entrepreneur, I realized I've got even more creative freedom. So look at all the startup companies. You are creating valuable solutions and products that you know, that you know your market wants. You know, SaaS companies are creating incredible solutions, shortcuts, remedies you know, to, to challenges that businesses are facing. So um, we have more creative freedom as an entrepreneur. It does come with a bit of hard work and sometimes that creative freedom can um, be a bit of a struggle and a challenge. But overall, for me, that's what entrepreneurship really is. Entrepreneurship is creating freedom. He is Joe Mikaliff, president of Grow Up Sales. Joe, thank you so much for joining today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Cheers, mate. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, mate. That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. 
And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guest for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.